Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of What's Going Swan. We have made it to episode 10, unbelievably, with people still listening, which is fabulous. Um, today's topic is leadership. I'm delighted to say later on the show, we are joined by James Russell from Brisk. Talk all things leadership and how he's been dealing with that during lockdown and COVID-19 and the challenges that have come with that. Uh, and on the Meet the Swan session, section, we will be joined by the wonderful Head of Client Services, Tom Sebbings. So I'm really looking forward to that. So as always, I'm James, Manager Director of Indigo Swan. And I'm Amy, Head of Client Relationships. And I get the pleasure, again, as usual, of starting with the absolutely thrilling market know-how. So sell it, Amy, sell it. You're in for, for some uh, interesting limited movement in commodity prices. Right, so uh, <laughs> June and July so far has seen oil prices holding really steady. It's been about $41 per barrel, uh, and it peaked in early July at about 43 So that's quite a significant in increase since April time, where, where we saw those negative figures in, in American oil. Um, but it has been really, really stable down from the peak earlier uh, in the year, at the start of the year, when we were hovering around 58 to $60 a barrel. So quite a reduction there. Um, and if you remember, oil is really important because of historic contract links to gas. Um, so when the oil price changes, the gas price tends to follow it. Uh, and then because gas is the primary source of power generation, that's what then affects the electricity price. So that's why we talk about all three things being linked um, all the time. So gas prices, wholesale prices are still really competitive. They're kind of quite stable. We've seen a, a drop in, in early July so far, which is quite normal uh, for summer because we've got good storage levels. Um, we've got really low demand, obviously, because coronavirus, everyone's still at home or mostly at home. Uh, and But we started to see a slight uptick in the last few days. Nothing significant, nothing to worry about, um, but we'll have to see what, what's going on there. Power has been a little bit more... Peaky. So we've had. A <laughs> Is that a technical term, Amy? I'm going to go for it. It's a technical term. I like it. I like it. So yeah. So at the end of June, beginning of July, we saw a little bit of an increase. Um, it's it's dropped away now, following following a, a drop in gas, um, because of good supply and demand levels. We also had really good uh, wind contribution on in in June and early July um, onto the generation mix. So that was up at 18, percent which is great. Uh, solar was a little bit lower than it had been earlier in the year, down at 8%. Um, and we had another month with coal recording virtually nothing. We haven't had a zero month with, with coal, uh, but it was like less than half a percentage point in, in the mix. So um, that's really good as well. So everything's kind of, well, a bit... A bit blah at the moment. Nothing's really <laughs> happening. Um, we've got a, a drop in forecast oil demand globally. So normally global demand is about 100 million um, barrels per day. Uh, and we're expecting that drop to go down to about 92 million barrels per day. And that's really significant um, because, you know, supply and demand of oil, oil is used in so many different things, not just fuel in your car, but it goes into plastics. It goes into all sorts of different manufacturing things. And that's a real sign of um, economic health globally. Um, and quite clearly, the, the demand drop has been because of coronavirus affecting everything all around the world. If we move into winter and have a second wave, we could see that demand drop even further. You know, we're talking about going back to the office. The UK as a whole is, is being pushed to kind of go back to whatever normality is now. Um, but we could see some real impacts on, on oil and then 
as a result, that should then feed through into gas and electricity. But now is a good time as any to negotiate contracts. It might not be able to get to the levels that we saw back in 2016, like we did last month and the month before. But it is still really a competitive time. You know, and another thing to consider, especially for electricity prices, is the weather. Are you ready, James? Oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so, weather should be mainly settled in the south, with the north expecting rain and strong winds, pretty standard. Um, temperatures are expected to be average, but the southeast could see very warm temperatures at times. Renewables contribution over the summer is likely to be modest, requiring some more use of gas generation in power distribution. Uh, power. Uh, whatever that word is. Power. Whatever that word is, because I love power. that. <laughs> <laughs> I've fallen over myself. It's, yeah, not, it's no, not pinky and it's not blah. <laughs> no, so it's fine. But I mean, it's a difficult one because stable prices are good for for end users. It means that you don't have to get rushed into making a contract, into signing a contract. It means you can take your time, make sure that the terms are what you need them to be. Um, you're not being forced into signing with you know consultants, brokers on the phone hassling you that it has to be done today. Um, mm. We're not seeing that at the moment, which is a good thing. It's a good thing for, for end users, but makes this session a little bit even more slow than uh, than the usual session. We, we are, we are, you know, we're seeing people capitalise, aren't we? we? You know, we're seeing we're seeing clients signing, you know, you know, two year deals, things like that. Yeah, making the most while they can. The future prices are are really good. We've got some 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 of our clients looking over a year in advance just to take advantage of the wholesale price. But um, again, I can't stress enough: like the wholesale price is less than half of what you get on your bill. So yeah. um, even though this price is great at the moment um, and stable, it might not result in the cost savings and and the delivered price that you're actually expecting. So that's why it's still important to. Pay attention to what's going on in global markets. It's why it's important to look at what's going on in wholesale um, and, and renewables contribution, but also paying attention to third-party charges. So, um, yeah, still, still a variety, still a mix, but um, yeah, it's good, good for the consumer at the moment. So, all positive. Absolutely, absolutely. If anyone listening, you know they're not they're not working with Indigo Swan. Now's your time. Get in touch. <laughs> Amy's here, ready with some weather for you. Yeah. Talking about peaky prices. Well, yeah, with advice such as peaky <laughs> and blah, you know, nothing about professional service at Indigo's one. So, you know, get, get get on board. Now's now's the time. Now's the time. I know. Now is the time, um, especially because of uh, coronavirus, meaning that we've got a new normal as well now um, in the UK. For any global listeners, uh, we have got today uh, the introduction of mask wearing. Everywhere. We have. I don't know what your your view is really on that, James, but I'm kind of I'm kind of okay with it on the basis that it feels like it's the right thing to do. But doing it in a responsible way for the environment is really really important. There was a, a news article that I saw that I kind of wanted to talk about for our opinion piece was um, single use masks yeah. and the damage that they could do to the environment. So there was a, a a study, a survey by an environmental group called Oceans Asia. This piece is actually from Energy Live News. The survey was out in Hong Kong and they found 70 discarded masks, single-use masks within 100 metres of the beach. And when they wow. returned a few days later, there was another 30. Um, the masks weren't that old. Some of them were brand, looked brand new, so it meant that they hadn't actually been in the water for very long. Um, and this risk of single-use, I mean, we were talking about single-use plastic. Yeah, we were. The, of the year um, and what it meant, but... 
I think coronavirus is seeing a, a rise again in single-use plastics. If you think about people buying fruit and veg again, they're tending to go for the pre-packed stuff because there's a perception that there's a less of a virus risk on the food. But um, I'm not really sure that that's no. something to be considered. But with the masks, it is really important. I mean, I've got a, a reusable one. I, I boil it in a in a pan on top of yeah. the stove when I get home. I also have a, I also have a reusable one. Um, I can't say it's. Uh, I can't say I support anybody locally. Sadly, I went full court. Went full court and went and bought that. <laughs> went and bought an Adidas one. But um, but it's reusable. You can wash it and boil it. Whatever you decide to do with it. Um, I, I think my opinion on it is that they're going to be here for some time. So because they're going to be about for some time, it really makes little sense to keep buying packs of free that you just use once and disregard. You know, if it's going to be here for a while, you're probably well off investing in a, probably a couple per person that you do wash and you do reuse. Yeah. Because like I say, it's, my view is it, it will continue till the end of the year at, at, at the least, I would have said, in the places that they've asked for masks to be well worn. Um, I definitely think, like you said, Amy, it's the right thing to do um, to keep yourself safe, but others around you safe as well. I think there's probably a probably a lot more cases as time has gone on of people who have had had it without strong symptoms who don't know they've had it um i think that's an important part of it really with with wearing of the mask in supermarkets takeaways and shops and whatever you know it it is important you know to keep yourself safe but to keep others safe as well um so yeah i mean i'm in support of it i think there's times and places where it's it's difficult you know you talked about returning to the office and and things like that i I would say with, with with that sort of thing i would encourage everybody as and when we get back to where it's to and from to a certain extent, depending on where they're going, in the office, I won't lie. It becomes more difficult because it's it's not the easiest way of communicating. You don't want to leave something like that on your face for a prolonged period of time. I wouldn't have said. No. Um, that's that's my view on it. It can be quite claustrophobic. I'm not sure how good it is for the individual if you were to keep it on, for example, for an hour or so. Um, but I think wearing them intermittently as you as you're going into shops and you're going in to get your coffee or whatever else it might be, I I, I certainly support that. Yeah, well, I think it's important as well, you know, to keep doing it all. We've been buzzed out. Final thought, uh, it's important to um, make sure that PPE, so proper, like, safety masks and all the ones that are certified, general members of the public don't need those. The, no. the double material cloth ones so that we've got, the ones that are reusable, they're absolutely adequate. So, again, that minimises single-use masks because if they're kept in a medical um, environment, they dispose of them properly. They don't just chuck them no. on the street <laughs> or in the rivers or, you know, like just let them blow around on the wind. So, yeah, make sure you use a reusable one. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other thing for me, and I was speaking to Jamie about this the other day, is you know the masks are great and stuff like that but it's also just being very respectful and cautious of what you're doing because you know we're not asking people to wear gloves is another example for me where you know people are going around touching stuff in shops and things like that and you know you'll you'll be touching things all sorts of different people um and so i think that's that's another thing just to be aware of and you know i've bought so many things during lockdown that i didn't need because i picked it (laughs) off the shelf and then went oh right well i better buy this now because i don't want to I don't want to put it back, but at the same time, I appreciate not everyone's going to have that opinion. Is is that what you're telling Harriet when you come home with uh, crates of beer? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I picked it up now, look, so I've got to buy it. But um, it is, you know, it's, it's a case of that, and and I think the masks is, is is a good step in the right direction for for as for as long as they see fit and as, for as long as they they require us to have them. But at the same time, it's yeah, it's making sure that you're doing all the other bits and pieces to remain as safe as possible and keep other people safe. So. 
that's 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 my view. There we go. Put the world to rights again. <laughs> it is now time for the part of the show where we meet the Swan. Uh, really pleased to have Tom Sebbings with us today, head of client services. Tom, hello. Hi guys, how's it going? Good, mate. Good, thank you. Do you want to start off, maybe introduce yourself a little bit and what you do sort of day-to-day at Indigo Swan? Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, I'm the head of client services. So I sort of manage a team of seven, making sure that they have the training and the sort of processes in place to do the jobs to the best of their ability, really. So I uh, joined Indigo Swan just under three years ago now, and it has gone scarily quick. I can't believe it's three years. <laughs> that, Tom, that has, that has gone quick. <laughs> the last four months probably made it seem even quicker as well. Well, yeah, that's, that is very true. The, the last four months have gone very quick, uh, which is a good place to start. So we have been working from home for the last four months, done a fantastic job managing your team remotely, I have to say. Um, what's, what's, what's the biggest thing you've learned, really, since working from home? That I don't actually like it as much as I thought I did. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I see the benefits of working from home, but I, for me, I sort of miss my walk in in the morning to the office and then walk home. And yeah, I sort of I've, I've learned that I like my house to be a little cocoon from the rest of the world. So jokes aside, that's, that has been fairly big sort of takeaway from it. I do miss the buzz of the office as well, um, which is something that I, I, I didn't necessarily think I would, but um, I definitely, I definitely have. I mean, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? The, the, you know, we said this before. I think people that we thought would love it haven't. And people that we didn't necessarily think would have loved it. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's an interesting one. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, so obviously you mentioned your house being a little cocoon and, and keeping you away from the world, and that's now a, a workplace as well. Um, what have you been? Have you been doing anything in particular to look after your well-being during lockdown? Um, I still, I still try to go for a walk every day. Um, last couple of weeks, I have slipped up slightly, but I have been trying to do like um, a hit session after work, sort of an hour or so. Um, and I've also been kidnapping next door neighbor's dog as well. <laughs> That's been very good therapy. If anyone is listening, it's fine. The fence is falling down and it voluntarily comes into the garden. So it's not like I'm baiting it or anything. It comes with its own free will. Not just the garden, though, is it, Tom? Where, where was, where's the dog been otherwise? Oh, it does sometimes come and sit on my feet while I work as well. And it's not a distraction <laughs> at all, James. I can no, promise no, you that. No, not at all. Not at all. But also, you know, for the owner of said dog, must be very grateful. Got some additional got some additional help next door. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. And um, I do try to help Tara out as well by throwing sticks and stuff. Um, admittedly, we don't have the longest garden, so it takes a few throws to tire it out. But, um, yeah, it's just nice. It's just nice having a dog running around and not having to worry, as I'm sure Amy is only too well aware of, having the vet bills that go with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, a weird question, Tom, but we ask this to everyone. So, would if you have the choice, would you rather have scales or fur? Oh, I think fur, purely because I think I'm quite Labrador-like. <laughs> Amazing, just compared himself to a dog. I would, I mean, that's probably why me and the dog from next door get, you know, get on so well, just kindred spirits. But yeah, I just think I'd look weird with scales. And to be honest, I'm not, I, I'm one of those weird people that actually prefers the winter months to the summer months. So I think for me, yeah, I think definitely, definitely fur. Amazing. What has been, apart from, you know, needing to replace the fence panels, uh, what are your two essential items that you've found during lockdown? 
definitely my my turntable is one. Yeah. Um, and essential during lockdown would probably be very liquid because the amount of washing up there's always to do. <laughs> Um, <laughs> your vinyls and washing up jobs, amazing. It's just, it's just never ending. Like I sort of, I just went to like get a bowl out of the cupboard for lunch, and it was unclean because we'd use them all for breakfast. It's just, it's just mental. Um, no, I, yeah, I don't know really. I love that vinyl and washing up liquids. Let's go with those two. <laughs> to be fair, mate, great answer, great answer. Yeah, I'd throw a curveball in. Absolutely. So on on well, I'm going to skip ahead a bit on on, on the subject of your vinyls. You know, everyone at Indigo Swan knows you enjoy your music and your vinyls. What was the uh, what's the first album you ever bought? I think I think it was on cassette, and I think it was Blur's Park Life. Amazing, amazing. And first vinyl you bought? Oh God, it was about 15 years ago that I got my first one. I honestly can't remember what that would that would have been because I, I used to buy a lot from like a, a vinyl fair that would come every Wednesday when I was at uni. Um, and then I was, I volunteered in an Oxfam for a bit and someone had donated a lot of stuff that I liked there. So that cemented my love of vinyl, but my, oh, my favourite vinyl, that's a tough one. You, you, you let us know, how many vinyls have you bought since lockdown? Um, it is now up to 67, 67. with three more coming this week. Um, yeah, I suppose it's it's, Unfortunately, having to cancel a few holidays and not, but it's probably highlighted how much I, I, I do spend like on food and drink out. It has been, yeah, it's just been a bit of re- retail therapy as well. I just sort of think during, during these strange times, you just need to do whatever makes you, makes you happy. Absolutely, mate. You know, it could be trainers for someone else. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's records for me. Um, and I think going back to my favorite one, it's just really hard because I sort of got, I've got a collection that sort of spans sort of 60s rock to Norwegian black metal to late 80s hip hop. And I think it, it all depends on what sort of mood I'm I'm in, really. Um, and that's always been the same with my music. I have sort of favourite albums for whatever mood I'm in. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very hard. I mean, it's, it's, I'm gonna, it's sort of like a politician's answer, but it's, it's yeah, it's a bit of a proper answer. But, um, yeah, I, I I would struggle to pick a favourite. That's good, mate. That's good. And a lovely, eclectic taste in music, which is great. Without going too much further down the vinyl rabbit hole, because I feel we could end up being like a vinyl podcast, but what is the best <laughs> about vinyl? I don't I don't understand what, like, why is it better than a CD? <laughs> the long and short of it, Amy, is that for some pressings, it does have a better sound quality. So if you're into music and you like hearing it as best you can, Vinyls will sound better, not all the time, but the majority of them will. Um, and it's also it's also nice to be part of the music. CDs weren't brought in to replace vinyl because they sounded better. It would they were just cheaper to produce. So right, gotcha. It wasn't it 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 it, it wasn't because people fell out of the love of vinyl. The music industry decided that CD was the way forward and stopped producing as many vinyl. So there's always been a love of vinyl there from people. Um, and I suppose it's sort of no different from having books to a Kindle. Having books on a shelf is much more impressive than just having sort of a Kindle. And I think vinyls on a shelf look, they're more aesthetically pleasing than having a load of CDs. Um, and also vinyls, vinyls have sort of, they've, they've come back in popularity. And part of that is because 
they do hold their value a bit more now than CDs do as well. There you go. But it is essentially the sound quality is why people do reach for it. Gotcha. That's fine. You've been educated, Amy. You've been educated. Yeah, vinyl. Woo! Yeah. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> as we're chuckling away, Thomas, do, do you have a do you have a funniest moment at, at your time at Indigo Swan, which is unbelievably nearly three years? Oh, that's a good question. There's been too many to count, really. I mean, the one that does spring to mind was a time that I forgot when my birthday was, but that's maybe not the funniest. That's probably the most concerning um, when I thought I was born on the 13th of the month when I wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, Tom, let's not worry about any other stories. Can you just go into that one for me? Um, I think Ray was talking about how people born on the 13th of the month are the best. And I was like, well, it's just like me, isn't it, Ray? She's like, Tom, but you it just sounds really boring when I say it, James. But anyway, it made me sound really stupid. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, that's, that's the one that does bring to mind. I know as soon as we stop this, there'll be, there'll be some more that sort of jump jump out. Um, having losing losing a bit of my pen down my shirt and having to undress myself in the toilet to find it. Another, <laughs> another classic Tom incident. Um, Amazing. Yeah, there's just numerous ones. Normally involving me acting a bit of a unintentional clown. Amazing, mate. Now, are you ready for a profound, very serious, um, in-depth question? <laughs> Always, Amy. Can you rank these forms of potato from worst to first? You have got baked, mash, fries, boiled, roast. Baked, mash, fried, boiled. You're totally writing those down, aren't you? Um, I mean, but this is coming from a man you can't remember when he was born. Um, (laughs) This is a good point. You better write them down. And they were potatoes, right? Yes. I would, so sorry, from worst to best. Worst to first, yep. Boiled would be my least favourite. Standard. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh. Don't worry, Tom. I, I, you, I have you, to you, know this, you continue. James. I have to know this, yeah. Come on. I, I put boiled down twice, Amy. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, God. <laughs> Fried roast. <laughs> uh, have you forgotten baked in the you, middle? You've got baked, mash, fries, boiled. Roast. Yeah, I just got two two Bs and that threw me. Then I'm probably going to go, oh, mash, bait, <gasps> roast, fries. Not a fan of mash. Wow. Goodness me. Well, no, I am a fan of mash, but it pales into insignificance compared to the top three. Wow. That's true. You did oh, have a good for your lunch yesterday, didn't you? So, yeah. And today. And today. It would be roast and then fries because fries just remind me of burgers and yeah, there you go. Thomas, that, that is amazing. So you've gone <laughs> boiled, mash, baked, roast and fries. Yeah. Love it. I wonder if we'll ever get anyone that puts boiled anywhere other than last place. Not if they want to keep their job, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be absolutely appalled, Amy. <laughs> No one can rank boiled anywhere other than bottom, in my opinion. But, you know, we haven't had it yet, have we? So we'll wait, we'll wait and see. Tom, that is amazing, mate. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Um, we're going to be joined We're going to be joined next month by one of your wonderful colleagues. As always, this person doesn't know yet, and I will let them know, but we're going to be joined by Tom's amazing colleague in client service, services, Sophie Sayer, which I am extremely excited about. Be I imagine one. Sophie's got oh. some great stuff to say. 
Right, it's now time, it's now that time uh, on the show where we welcome our special guest and I am delighted to welcome James Russell, CEO of Brisk, to the show today. Uh, I've had the privilege of knowing James now for oh, well over a year now uh, and all the wonderful things he's doing at Brisk. So James, welcome to the show. Thanks, James. Um, do you want to start off, maybe just you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Brisk and the journey that led you to... Uh, to starting Brisk and what, what you've been doing over the sort of last year or so. Yeah, sure, definitely. So um, I moved up to uh, Norwich and Aviva all about 18 years ago and um, uh, I suppose 17, 18 years working in insurance. Uh, before long, you, you realise actually uh, um, there are some things that you really want to make a difference uh, with and I guess my calling was to really help small and medium-sized businesses get more help protecting themselves in a way that is beyond just a, a static annual insurance policy. So um, that's where Brisk really came from. I teamed up with our co-founder, Greg Duffield. So he was the former CEO of the fleet software business, Proteo. Um, we launched Brisk in 2019, so we're just over a year old. Um, and yeah, it's I, I'm loving it. It's the chance to really put some fresh thinking and fresh energy into uh, a very traditional world of insurance to bring small businesses a much smarter sort of digital way of um, protecting their business using effectively a, a business assistant for small businesses. So that's that's what Brisk is. Amazing. And, and, and obviously, you started, like you say, in 2019, uh, long before COVID-19 was, was about. Um, I suppose since 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 COVID nineteen's about, have you seen a have you seen a bigger uptake? Have you, have you has it taken it sort of to the next level? Because obviously people are looking for a lot more things now that they can manage remotely. Yeah, so I think I think there's been a bit of a reality check uh, when something like COVID nineteen hits and businesses are in lockdown or they're um, they're, they're struggling. I think on the one hand, you've got to fight for survival as a business, but on the other hand, you also realise that there are some things like um, looking after your people, looking at your financial health, um, monitoring the stability of suppliers uh, and key customers that just come into sharper focus. And that's really meant that risk has come into its own or come to the fore because what we help businesses do is we effectively automate monitoring uh, well-being of, of, your, of your team, um, looking at any late-paying customers, giving you a an alert or a tip if one of your suppliers uh, has been in the news or they're maybe struggling financially. So that idea of a, of a business assistant that's watching your back while you can focus on what you want to be doing, i.e. surviving or, or getting through lockdown, uh, it's really come into its own. That's great. And how have you looked after your team at risk yourself? Have you learned anything specific about your own leadership style or, or what have you found the biggest challenge of, of managing people remotely has been? So as a team, I think some of us have been quite used to working remotely. Certainly I have from my Aviva days, um, but there are some members of the team who have been very used to working in an office environment. Um, and and I think that it's been quite a, um, an adjustment for them. So what I've learned about my own leadership style has, as someone once said to me, you just got to communicate, communicate, communicate. And that's probably been my biggest learning. Uh, for someone like me, who's got lots going on anyway, there's a temptation to just get your head down and, and work. But mm. what I've had to do is to remember that you've got to keep communicating. And 
above all, listening to the team and and, under, and and hearing what their concerns are. Maybe if they're not as in touch with where the company's going or what we're doing, they're the sort of things you would pick up if you're in an office. But when you're remote, um, yeah, God, my intuition isn't isn't great at the best of times. So it's <laughs> even harder when you're not seeing someone or they're not able to look at you face to face and say, "Hey, what's going on?" So it's it, that's probably been my biggest learning. I completely agree. And communication is key, isn't it? And and like you say, it's so difficult now. We're not all you know, not all in the same place, in the same office. It's making that time uh, to speak to everybody to see what is coming from them and just making sure you know you're asking a lot of questions, finding out how each member of the team is feeling. You, you talked about uh, communication being a fairly big character trait of, of leadership. What are the other character traits you think make make a good leader? So I think there are two things. And at your core, it's being authentic to your core values uh, and letting people know what these are and, and what you stand for. I think so often we think that leadership or management is is sort of putting on a on a an outfit or a uh, a certain persona, and that suddenly makes you a great leader. And lots of studies have now shown that actually, what people need to see is the the real you and what you stand for. And you might fool some people with nice words, but sooner or later they'll understand what you really stand for so understand you know understanding that in yourself and being authentic in the way that you operate is a fundamental part and then i think at a behavioral level it's back to that ability to listen and to sense what is needed and show the adaptability to different situations i think certainly that's something that um I'm learning, uh, as we've just been discussing during lockdown, um, you've got to be you've got to be adaptable as a as a leader. Yeah, I, I, yeah, adaptability is something that that is going to be really really important. I think in the coming months and years post COVID, not just for leaders but for, for businesses, we're likely to see some businesses go under. We're likely to see people being made redundant. Um, you've obviously got a fantastic journey where you've left a huge, huge company and gone out and started on your own. Um, what would be the biggest piece of advice that you've got for someone looking to start their own company, possibly not in the midst of COVID, but maybe in the future? What do people need to, to take into account? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And um, you know, it might sound like a bit of a cliche, but it's true. I think the biggest piece of advice is to believe in the dream that you have and back yourself. Um, so often, I think, certainly I was in this position and, and many of us can work in a big corporate and you, I wouldn't say you get comfortable doing that, but the dream you might have might seem to be too big a risk to really take that leap from the comfort of the corporate where where that's looked after you and paid you a nice salary. So I think if you have that burning desire, it's just being brave to do it and um, not being afraid to fail and learn some hard lessons along the way. Um, and then I think in order to survive, the other bit of advice is just to surround yourself with people who are, for want of a better term, better than you at certain things, because you can't do it all on your own. So back yourself, but also surround yourself with, with great people as well. James, that's my favourite point. I I, I, I I couldn't agree more because I say this quite a lot, and I've said it in a number of interviews. And you have to surround yourself with people that are that are better than you at, at certain things. You know, not to flatter Amy too much while she's on this podcast with us, but you know, I'm, I'm, for, I'm fortunate to have someone like Amy around me who you know whose knowledge of the knowledge of the business that we work in is is a hundred times better than mine. And 
I'm very fortunate for that. And, you know, for Jamie, who sets all these podcasts, you know, she's a, she's a marketing expert and I'm very lucky to have her look after marketing. And then, you know, through the Haley, who looks after our finances, she's much more versed in financial uh, planning and forecasting than I am. So it's, it's, it's an excellent point. And, and one that I do sometimes think people tend to forget as well. Um, it can be very easy to go full steam ahead yourself and think that you can look after absolutely everything and juggle all the different balls. But actually, yeah, uh, be successful as a leader. One of the things that has to come first is, like you say, surrounding your surrounding yourself with those people that are better than you in in certain areas and just good people. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So, with your journey and things like that, you've obviously you've come from a big corporate, as, as you mentioned. You've probably had some fairly challenging moments in in your career, and a lot of people are facing very challenging moments at this moment in time. Is there a particular moment that you go back to that was uh, particularly challenging, and, and and what did you do, and how did you overcome that? Yeah, I mean, it, it really sticks in my memory um the first role i had as a managing director of a, of a medium-sized business was was in 2008 and it was a subsidiary of aviva and it was an internet auction business that was set up at the same time as ebay uh so it had about uh, 60 people based in london had been there from the start really knew well they were they were a startup team and i came in as this person from norwich from the from head office from the parent company and i really suffered with that sort of imposter syndrome and you know i'm not worthy to come and be the md of this team mm. and it took um a couple of them a chap called piers who is the head of market development to say one evening james you're a really good bloke and we'll always want to go for a beer with you but to be the leader of our business you need to tell us when actually we're not on it or we're distracted or we're not doing what we need to be doing as a company. So that for me was the real learning was you, you've got to uh, grab it and do what needs doing as a leader um, because that was a great opportunity. And if you don't take that chance, um, you're not actually doing the best thing for the company. Perfect. I can't believe the buzzer interrupted you. Doing no. <laughs> such a, such a serious moment such a serious moment but uh, i suppose yeah just one final question from me really is obviously um lockdown's been a, a challenging time for everyone everyone's trying new things is there anything that you've tried uh during lockdown or something new that you've done that, that you know almost like a daily ritual that you think you'll continue uh, as and when the new normal appears yeah so um just doing exercises you you find all these excuses not to to not to exercise but actually because I'm not commuting in the morning or traveling down to London, that was like the final straw of excuses gone. So uh, <laughs> actually just three days a week, taking an hour in the morning to, to do a workout. I've got to carry on that. Amazing. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, James, that was, that was fascinating. Thank you ever so much for joining us. No, thank you. Really enjoyed speaking to you um, and wish you all the best with Brisk uh, now and, and, and into the future. Yeah, and all the best for you guys as well. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining myself and Amy again. Uh, great to have you. Great to have you along and look forward to you joining us again next month for episode 11, where we will be talking about all things local and supporting local in this challenging time. I'm delighted to say that we'll be joined by Martin Blackwell, who is head of operations at Norwich Bid. And in the Meet the Swan section, we'll be getting to speak to Sophie Sayer, who works in our client services team and is quite the character. So I, I very much look forward to getting to Sophie next month as well. Thanks again and see you next month.